couple of years ago when I visited my dear friend Jeff Shattuck in England. He said, I've got to take you to London, but we only have a day, so we're not going to be able to see everything. I said, well, I I need to see a few things if I'm going to feel like I've been in London, but I also want to go to the London Underground, and I want to ride the tube. And he said, well, definitely. There's just no other way to get around London, uh, hardly, without going to the London Underground. And if you've ever been, you, you know that there are multiple visual and audible warning phrases that are repeated all throughout the London Underground. And it simply reads or says, mind the gap. Mind the gap. In other words, pay attention to the gap. And it's a warning about the gap, that horizontal gap between the train door and the station platform. You don't want to get your foot caught in the gap. You don't want to trip because of the gap. Mind the gap. Everywhere I went, I saw the signs and I heard the warnings. Mind the gap. And, you know, I thought there needs to be a a warning and there needs to be some signs like that for the Christian life. Mind the gap. And for us, mind the gap would be mind and pay attention to the gap between belief and unbelief. And for us as Christians, that gap we call doubt. That gap between believing in God, believing in Christ, believing in His Word, and unbelief, not believing, that gap is doubt. Where we want to believe, but sometimes we find it hard to believe. Several years ago now, I met with a man at an Applebee's restaurant on the west side. It was just a few months after his 27, 28-year-old daughter had passed away from complications during surgery. It was tragic. A young, beautiful woman, a young mother. And as I sat across the table from him at the restaurant, seeking to encourage him, comfort him, help him in any way that I could, I remember him looking at me, and he said, How could your God take my daughter? And I really thought of that moment. He might punch me right now. Rightly so, he was filled with anger and grief and hurt. And he said, I want to believe, but I am struggling to make sense of this. And I I replied to him, David, I don't have any easy answers. I know I stood with you for months as she was in critical care. I did her funeral. And I know this, she had placed her faith in Christ as her Savior. And the promise of God's word is she is with him. And one day you will see her again. But I'm just going to be honest with you, David. I don't understand why God allows a lot of these things to happen. And I've got my own list of questions. And I do believe, but sometimes I find it hard to believe. It was a few weeks later that he was right here on the front row when he trusted Christ as his Savior. And later he told me, he said, the difference that was made in my life is that you didn't come and sit down with me and give me easy answers. And you, a pastor, said there were things you found hard to believe. He said that made the difference. Now, the reason I tell you that story is not to say, see, your pastor is a hero. No, I am not. The reason I tell you that story is because Jesus is the hero. That even if we put our imperfect faith in him, even if we come to him and say, I want to believe, but sometimes I struggle to believe, he meets us in that moment of even our doubts. And I think sometimes we have this mistaken notion that doubt means you're out. 
that it's either all or nothing, that if you have questions, if you struggle sometimes with your faith and your confidence and your understanding of God, that it must mean you might as well just throw in the towel and give up because real followers of Jesus don't doubt. Real followers of Jesus don't struggle with questions. Real followers, followers of Jesus don't have moments where they're not sure how to square their faith with their experience. But I've got good news for you. Doubt doesn't mean you're out. In fact, to mind the gap between belief and unbelief, to mind the gap of doubt is in what you do with your doubt. Doubt should drive you to Jesus. Doubt and questions and fear and misunderstanding and struggles ought to drive you to him rather than away from him. And so I don't know where you are today, but what I want to do is I want to share with you a story from the life of Jesus where, where there was some doubt in a person's life. And he was honest about his doubt. He flat out told Jesus about his doubt. And I want you to see how Jesus dealt with him and how that Jesus wants to also tenderly work in my life and in your life in those moments when we struggle. And I also want you to see how the disciples of Jesus, those personally chosen followers of Jesus, the 12, struggled to believe in Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9. And today I want us to look at verses 14 through 29. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. I'll put the words on the screen as well, but uh, there's just nothing like seeing it with your own eyes from your own copy of the Bible, maybe a printed Bible, or maybe you'll download the Version Bible app uh, that's free, but Mark chapter 9, verse 14. To set the stage right before this setting, this scene, Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of his followers, up on a mountaintop, and there they have caught a glimpse of the deity of Jesus. He was transfigured in his personage in front of them, and, and it was a, a magnificent mountaintop experience for Jesus, for Peter, James, and John. But, you know, mountaintop experiences don't last. You have to get off the mountain and come back down to the valley into uh, the hustle and bustle of everyday living. And that's where we pick up today in Mark chapter 9. It says in verse 14, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. So whenever Jesus, Peter, James, and John come back down the mountain and join the other uh, disciples, they see this huge crowd and they can tell there's a lot of commotion going on and there's some arguing and taunting being done by the scribes, the religious leaders towards the nine disciples of Jesus that were down in the valley. And verse 15 says, And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that's Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Verse 16, And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Verse 17, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And talking about a demonic spirit. Verse 18, the father continues, And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. What a tragic scene. 
This father should have been able to run up to Jesus and tell Jesus about his little boy, saying, oh, this is my young son. This is Johnny. We don't know his name, but this is Johnny. And oh, he's just the light of our home, and we love watching him grow, and he loves to play sports, and it's the highlight of my day when I come home after a long, hard days of work, and he just runs into my arms and says, Daddy, I've missed you. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, let's play. That should have been this father's story. But instead, the father's story was tragic. The father's story was that his innocent son, and we learn from the gospel accounts, this is his only son. His innocent son was tormented by a demonic spirit. And and one of the reasons I believe that there is more that goes on in our world than sometimes meets the eye is because I can't make sense of all the evil I see without believing that but also because Jesus believed it. Jesus is the one who told us that there is an unseen world where fallen angels attack the people of God and cause a lot of harm and havoc in our world. Not every problem you have or I have is demonic in in nature. Don't don't misunderstand me. Uh, But there's activity of Satan at work in our world. And this boy was an innocent victim of that. And, And it tormented him physically. The father describes what it would do to him, that, that it, it would seize him and throw him down on the ground. He would foam at the mouth and grind his teeth, and, and he, would, he would just suffer in great agony. Later, we'll discover that often this demonic spirit in this boy's life would seek to destroy the boy, cast him into water, try to make, make him run into the fire. He was out to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And this is so tragic, but it's also picturesque of all the problems that we face in our society, all the problems that people struggle with, all the hurts and the habits and the hangups that people wonder, how am I going to find help for this? And can Jesus help me with this? And the sad news is not only what happened to the son, but what happened when the father brought the son to the disciples of Jesus. He said in verse 18, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, to cast out that demonic presence, and they were not able. They failed, even though Jesus had previously given them authority to do this very thing, even though they had previously been successful in casting out demonic spirits in other people's lives. In this moment, they failed They failed miserably. And now we know why the scribes were arguing with the disciples of Jesus. They were taunting them as a way to get at Jesus. Ah, you failed. What does that say about you? What does that say about your Jesus? He claims to be some teacher, some miracle worker. He claims to be the Messiah. But you failed. That means he's a failure too. That's why they were arguing. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. We don't know how this went down. We're not told. We're only told the aftermath of their failure. But chances are this father brings the son to the disciples and maybe one of the disciples say, hey, I've got this, guys. I've done this before. Clears his throat. Okay. Demon, come out of him. Nothing happens. Let me say it a little louder. Demon, come out of him. Nothing happens. One of the other disciples maybe nudges him. Listen, you don't have as much experience with this as I do. Let me handle it. Okay. Demon, come out of him. 
and nothing happens. And then he raises his voice a little louder because that's what preachers do when they, when they run out of material. They just get louder. <laughs> and so he fails. And one after the other, nine of these guys utterly fail. And the reason they fail is because they do not have as much faith as they think they do either. They have reduced ministry to the abracadabra. They think that we can just go through the motions, we can do what we've always done, and we will get the same results. That we are going to presume on the grace of God from yesterday for today. We're going to presume on the power of God from yesterday today. There's no indication that they ever stopped and prayed and said, Oh God, only you can truly set people free. Nope. They just go through the motions. They reduce it to this magical formula, the merely mechanical, the rut and routine of what they've done in the past. And because of that, they fail. And so in this story, we find failure, and Jesus is none too pleased with it. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, whenever he heard what the dad said, I brought them to yours, your disciples, and they could not. Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Have you ever wondered if Jesus says that about you sometimes? (laughs) I have heard him say it about me, I promise you. Ricky, how long am I going to have to put up with you? How long am I going to have to teach you this lesson? Ricky, you're the one that have preached these very sermons And you saw me work yesterday, and yet today, you don't have faith. You're just going through the motions. You believe one moment, you don't believe the next. You've got faith one moment, you don't have faith the next. Jesus is saying, I've been with you disciples for almost three years now. You've seen me walk on water. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me feed thousands of people in a miraculous way. You've seen me cast out demons And yet you, even you, my disciples, don't have faith. You're not trusting me. You don't really have confidence in me. Oh, faithless generation. He's rebuking them, and honestly, he rebukes me with these words. There are times, you know, in years past when churches would do revivals. Have you ever heard of revival meetings? It would be a series of meetings where you bring in some people to do special music and and you bring in an outside preacher to say the same thing your preacher says, but people love it when they hear it from someone new. And uh, so often I've had a chance to go and preach in revival services. And there were sermons that I would preach here, and then people got saved, and I got a bunch of amens, and people would say at the back door, great message. I go in and preach that same sermon somewhere else, dead as a doornail, flat, nothing happens. And I've come to realize, oh, faithless one, you're just presuming on the grace of God that if you go through the motions, if you did today what you did yesterday, then God is obligated to show up and to do something. But that is not faith. Faith is trusting God to do what only He can do and leaving the results to Him. And Jesus then commands in verse 19, Bring him to me. Bring the boy to me. 
Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Verse 22, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Now listen to this. The father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. The father says, but if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Jesus says, you're putting the if on me. I put the if on you. If you can do anything. Well, I say to you, if you believe, anything's possible. Jesus says, let me, let me be clear here. Whether it's you, Father, or whether it's my own personal disciples who ought to know better, if there is a failure, it is not with me. The failure is with those who don't have faith. Jesus says, all things are possible to those who believe. So the question is, do you believe or not? I, you put the if on me, I put it on you. I turn the table on you. You've got to make up your mind whether you truly believe or not. My disciples have already failed because they didn't believe in me. They believed in themselves. They believed in their past experiences. But what about you, Father? And this is how the father replies. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I actually know of a person who had this scripture verse tattooed on his arm. This was the verse. <laughs> he said, this is the verse I can relate to. I can relate to this verse that says, I believe Jesus, help my unbelief. I believe Jesus, but my, my belief is not perfect. I believe Jesus, but sometimes I doubt. I believe Jesus, but sometimes I struggle. And this is what the Father is saying. Can anybody else in this room relate to this dad? I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm a mixed bag, Jesus. My faith isn't perfect. I'm struggling, but, but I do believe. I want to be that person who trusts I want to believe that, be that person to whom all things are possible. I do believe. In fact, we know the Father believes. Do we, you know how we know the Father believes? He, he took His Son to the disciples of Jesus. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene, He comes to Jesus and brings His Son to Jesus. Even with His imperfect faith, He's drawn to Jesus. He brings His mixed bag of faith. His imperfect faith, his doubts, his fears, his questions, he brings it all to Jesus. In years gone by, we would sing, just as I am, and that's the way this father comes, just as I am. You get me as I am, Jesus, and I come to you just as you are. 
And listen, that's a secret for you and it's a secret for me that even when we're doubting, even when we're struggling to believe, even when we're trying to mind that gap between belief and unbelief, we need to come to Jesus with all of that. Bring it to him. He's the one who can truly help us. And if you come to him, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, in other words, they're coming to see the show, but they want to see the next miracle, and Jesus doesn't do miracles just to entertain people. So he says, let's just go ahead and do this, because I'm not doing this just for the crowd. So when he saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. They were too embarrassed to ask him in front of all the crowds, why could we not cast it out? Jesus, you did it, but we failed. Why could we not do what you did? Verse 29, and he said to him, this said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you where you failed. You didn't pray about it. And as I was studying this passage this week, I kept coming back and forth saying, is this message that God's put on my heart today about faith? If you believe all things are possible, or is this about prayer? Because Jesus says to the disciples, this kind of demonic spirit, that tells me there must be other kinds, but this kind can only come out through prayer. So is it a message, a lesson that Jesus is teaching about faith or prayer? And the answer is yes, because prayer is nothing more than an expression of faith. Prayer is nothing more than a declaration of dependence on God. And Jesus says to his disciples, where you failed was you were depending on yourself. You were not depending on God. You were not depending on me. If you were depending on God the Father and me, your Savior, you would have asked for help. You would have asked for the power of God. You would have asked for God to do what only God can do. But you didn't. And that's where you failed. And listen, whether you're the Father... Or the disciples. I think the father comes out looking better than the disciples. Because the father at least prayed. The father prayed by coming to Jesus. And bringing his request to Jesus. That's all prayer is. It's bringing your needs to Jesus. And listen. I believe what God is trying to teach us this morning. Is let your problems drive you to Jesus and his power. Whenever you're struggling to make sense of it, whenever you're doubting and you're not sure, that's okay. Doubt doesn't mean you're out. Let your problems drive you to Jesus and to His power, not your own. You know, we parents, we, we live our lives sacrificing so much for our children. And the, the, the sign of a successful parent is that we have raised our children to grow up and to be independent people no longer dependent on parents. <laughs> and all the parents said amen. 
That's a sign of success for earthly parents, is that we have raised our children to be grown now, and that they are now independent people, no longer dependent on us. But God the Father takes the opposite approach with His children. He uses life to teach us to be less dependent on ourselves and more dependent on Him. And He allows us to go through trials and tribulations in order to teach us To not depend on ourselves. Stop trying to be independent. And learn to be dependent on me. We'll never outgrow our need for our Heavenly Father. And for our Lord and Savior Jesus. And for His power. For our problems. For our sins. For our struggles. Now, if you think that this passage teaches that if you only believe, then you can have any miracle you claim. No, this is not a name it and claim it lesson that Jesus is teaching. That I want a million dollars in my bank account, and it's possible to everyone and anyone who believes, and boom, I'll have a million dollars. That doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. (laughs) I just want to let you know I tried. Didn't work. That's not what Jesus is teaching. You cannot take one story and build your entire theology on that one story. This is how God always and only works. No, that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is you let your problems drive you to Jesus and His power and let Him do what only He can do. And often, many times, He brings healing And he miraculously intervenes and he works in ways that we can see and we say, that's just a miracle. In other ways, the miracle is not by taking the problem away. The miracle he performs is by taking us through the problem. Remember the apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh? (laughs) That sounds so nice and so easy. Oh, just get some tweezers and, and solve that problem, Paul. You got a thorn in your flesh? My grandmother used to take a little needle and and tweezers and she would get that out. Actually, in the Greek, the word thorn is stake. It is a wooden stake driven into his flesh. It It was a picture of saying he was in debilitating pain because of some physical ailment. Many people believe it was an eye problem that he had. And we prayed three times, please heal me of this. Jesus, I've got work for you to do. I've got epistles to write. I've got missionary journeys to go on. This is a debilitating illness, and I'm struggling. He prayed three times for Jesus to take that infirmity away. Jesus never answered his prayer until the end, and he says, No, I'm not going to take it away, because my grace is sufficient for you. When you are weak, I am strong. You're going to have to learn to lean on me, Paul. So sometimes Jesus performs miracles like this. Other times he does what he did for Paul. And he doesn't take away the problem. He takes you through the problem. But either way, Jesus is the answer. And if you're struggling to believe, if you're struggling with your doubt, that's okay. You are just like this father. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm just going to tell you, God, this is where I'm at. But I come to you, and I bring it to you. So I want you this week to turn your problems into prayers. That's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your problems into prayers. 
That's what the father did. He, he, he turned his problem into a prayer by saying to Jesus, if you would, and if you can, just have mercy and compassion and pity. I'm just going to trust you. If you can, just have compassion and help us. And leave the rest to Jesus. The how Jesus helps, leave that to him. The when Jesus helps, leave that to him. The, the timing of how Jesus helps you, just leave it to him. But come to him and say, Lord, I know you can. And I know you do have compassion for me. And I know you do care. So I am going to turn my problem into a prayer. And I'm just going to ask for your help. You say, well, he should have worded it differently. Should have said it differently. Oh, come on, get off his back. He came to Jesus. That's all that matters. And there are times you should have prayed differently and you should have said something differently and you should have had a different attitude. It's okay. The key is not in your faith. The key is in the object of your faith. And his name is Jesus. You're not perfect. You never will be. Don't want to burst your bubble. But this out of heaven, you never will be. But he is perfect. And he can handle whatever you're going through. Maybe you're a young person and you're struggling with your doubt. I, I know I've been raised to believe in Jesus and the Bible. And I'm just not sure anymore. I've got questions. Let your questions drive you to Jesus. Look to him. Jesus, would you help me with this? I'm trying to make sense of my faith. Would you help me? Maybe you're struggling with your marriage or you're struggling with a relationship problem and it's actually pushing you away from God and, and it's stealing your prayer life. But you need to fight against that and let your problems drive you to Jesus and His power. You don't have the power to fix this. Only Jesus has the power to fix this. you got to let your problems drive you to Him. Maybe you're going through some health problems, some physical problems. Maybe it's financial. I can tell you this. He's there. And he wants to show himself strong in your life. I wish I could say that that dad that day at the Applebee's restaurant didn't have to go through what he went through. But he did. But today, whenever he texts me, because they're not coming to church right now because his wife is fighting cancer and her immune system is low. But they watch us online. And you guys know who you are. And I'll never forget that day that you said, my hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I want you to know, I see him. I preach about faith all the time. But you two live it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder today from the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. That we're not the only ones to live minding the gap between belief and unbelief. That gap we call doubt. But we thank you it doesn't have to trip us up. It can actually drive us closer to Jesus. And so we pray that today, if we can relate to this Father at all, that we will say to you, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm not everything I ought to be, but Jesus, I come to you just as I am and I ask you to work in my life in the way and in the time that you see fit and I'm just going to trust you. And I'm just going to trust your power. So I'm going to let my problems drive me to you, Jesus, 
in prayer and I'm going to let my problems drive me to lean on your power and your strength to either take away my problem or take me through these problems. And I thank you that you're going to be found faithful even when I struggle with faith. So Father, would you help each one here today and each one watching today or listening today to draw closer to Jesus? And God, if there's anyone in this place or anyone watching or listening online who needs Jesus, I pray that the first step they will take is recognizing they need to come to him in sorrow for their sin. And they need to believe in him as their personal Lord and Savior, the one who died for them on the cross, who was buried, but who rose from the dead. And he promises in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So today, friend, I'm going to invite you, believe in Jesus. Put your confidence in him. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin and for the gift of eternal life. And let us know today that you've made that decision. If you're watching, leave us a comment below or, or go to the website. Even if you're in the room today and maybe today you've received Jesus as your Savior, let me know that. Nothing will bring more joy to my heart than to know that you've placed your confidence in Jesus. Last Sunday, someone in this place said, I'm putting my faith in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Who will be the one this Sunday that says, I'm crossing the line from unbelief to belief? Let us know that. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives today as we surrender to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.